So let's begin uh, by turning to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John 4, we'll pick up where we left off last week. We'll continue in verse 17 of 1 John 4. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has got it through the lens of his word. So let's look back at some of the other times that John uses this phrase, if anyone says or whoever says. And let's ask ourselves, do we see the fruits of biblical conversion in us? Turn back to chapter 1. Chapter 1 and verse 5. In verses 5 through 10, John uses this phrase three times. So 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. So God's nature is that he is light. There is no darkness in God. If we say, there's that phrase, if we say we have fellowship with him, that is, if we say we are connected to the God who is light, while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. So John is saying that for those who are truly born again from above by the Holy Spirit through the gospel, there will be a progressive movement from darkness to light. We are all sinners born in darkness, and, and we all lived in darkness prior to the Lord saving us by his grace in Christ. And so John is saying that if we say, if we profess to know Christ, who is this God of light, and yet we walk in darkness, that is, the pattern of our lives is to live in sin, to live in darkness, then we ought to be really looking in the mirror of God's word and saying, am I really saved? Do I really know the Lord? Now, obviously, John is not saying that believers don't struggle with sin because he goes on to say that we ought to confess our sins to God and we can claim the promise that he will forgive us. But the difference is a struggle with sin and a complete immersing and walking and living in sin. That's the difference. John is saying that if we walk in the darkness, that is, that the general pattern of our lives is sin. The general pattern of our lives is to live in sin, to live in darkness with really no change, then that ought to be of great concern to us. Uh, look at chapter 2, verse 4. 
Whoever says, here it is again, whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. So John is saying that there is a new relationship that we have to the word of God. Whoever says, I know him, that is, whoever says, I know Jesus, whoever says, I know the Lord, and yet does not keep his commandments is a liar. But whoever keeps his word, in him the love of God is being perfected. So, again, is John saying perfection is the only way in which we may know that we are saved? No, that's not what he's saying. But he's saying that if there's really been no change in your life since the time you claim to know Christ, of coming to know Christ, you're still the same old person that you always were, you ought to be concerned. That's what John is saying. Is there a new relationship to the Lord? Do you have a new relationship with his word? Are you responsive to his word? Are you attentive to his word? Are you submissive to his word? Then he goes on in chapter 2, verse 9. Whoever says, here it is again, whoever says he's in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. So here, two more times, John says, whoever says, whoever says he's in the light but hates his brother, he's still in the darkness. So what is it that gives us assurance of our salvation? Is it our profession of faith? Or is it the possession of faith? Now, those who know Christ will profess him. Don't get me wrong. But those who really know Christ will do more than profess him, but they will also possess him and therefore will not spend their lives being a pretender, which is what John is confronting here. Pretenders who were impacting these churches in negative ways. One more time. Chapter 4, verse 20. Our passage. If anyone says, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother. It's a repeat of chapter 2. So when the Lord intervenes in our lives through the gospel and we are saved, that changes our relationship with God, but it also changes our relationship with those in his family. That's the big idea this morning. John is saying true Christians bear the fruit of a maturing love for God and his family. 
This is evidence of the Holy Spirit's presence and work in us. If you are only growing in knowledge, and perhaps you can beat anyone in this room at Bible trivia, but you are not growing in love for people, then there's something wrong. Because John is saying, not only will we love God, and that will result in obedience to God, but we will also love his people who are also indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. And so the Holy Spirit creates a bond that we have with other believers. And that bond then produces love. So over and over, John ties love for neighbor to our love for God. And he's saying to us that if we are converted, if we are truly a Christian, then one chief evidence will be that we possess the fruit of the Spirit, which is love. The love of self and the love of the world, which once characterized us prior to knowing Christ, will be progressively replaced by love for God and love for his people. And this is a supernatural love. This isn't something we can just crank up on our own. You can only be a pretender for so long. Uh, And pretenders will always be spiritually basket cases because there's no grounding that's going on in their heart and soul. There's no stability. The stability that is produced by the Holy Spirit through the Word of God. And so, as sinners, we naturally love ourselves more than others. That's just the way we're born. My wife and I brought ten children into the world. Well, my wife did most of the work. Of, of, of the bringing of them into the world. Um, and, and we didn't have to sit down and teach any of them how to love themselves more than they love their siblings or anyone else. We didn't have to say, well, you're three years old now, now you're old enough to have a class called Loving Yourself 101. And when we're done with that, we'll, we'll teach you Lying 101. And then we'll teach you hissy fit 101. And then we'll teach you whatever one-on-one, you know, 101. It's nature. It's our sin nature just coming out. And it's a demonstration that we need the Lord. And our children need the Lord. I know if you just gave birth and you're looking at that cutie, you're thinking, how could this cutie be a sinner? Give him a few more weeks. So John is saying that when we are born again, when we are born from God, when we are born from above, the Spirit plants new life within us, which is the very life of God. And the life of God then progressively changes us. Again, I'm not talking, neither was John talking, about spiritual perfection. But what he is talking about is spiritual progression. Can you look at your spiritual life today and see that you are more holy than you were 
a couple years ago, that you love God more than you did in the past, that you're growing in obedience, that you're learning to love others more than you love yourself. Do you see movement? That's the point. Because the new heart that God gives to us at the moment of salvation pumps the life of God through our spiritual arteries and veins, which then produces new life. Not just new lips, not just a new profession, but a new possession. We are now the property of the Lord, and he will make changes in our lives. Praise him. Because we're powerless to abiding relationship that we now have with Christ, who is our life. And as we walk by the Spirit in the Word of God, His life is going to be making itself more visible in our lives. And this gives us great assurance. So true Christians bear the fruit of a maturing love for God and His family. Let's look more intently now at this passage of Scripture uh, before us here because John, again, is saying genuine love for God will produce love for other believers. And in verses 17 to 21, John tells us about two results from growing in love for God. Number one, as you mature in your love for God, you will build the confidence of your faith, which will dispel fear of future judgment. Look what he says in verse 17. By this is love perfected with us. Remember, from a couple weeks ago, what does this word perfected mean? Uh, It means mature or to be made complete. That's what the word means. So, by this is love perfected with us. So that, so what's the purpose? What is the purpose of maturing love in our Lives. It is that we may have confidence. That we may have confidence when? Well, for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. So there is no fear in love. As the, as the, it says in verse 18. So as the love of God is being perfected in our lives, as it is being made complete, as we walk in the Spirit, that dispels fear. Fear of the past, perhaps, punishment over your past sins, fear of punishment for your present sins, or fear of the punishment in the future, the the day of judgment. So he's saying that we may be confident in the day of judgment. In other words, we don't need to fear judgment day if we are banking upon Christ and what he has done for us. We know that our righteousness is not our own, but it is Christ's gift to us, and we see the Spirit of God at work in our lives. We don't see perfection because we won't see that until we see the Lord, but we do see movement toward godliness. We do see that we are not the same person that we used to be. God is at work in us. Warren Wearsby writes, A believer in Jesus Christ does not have to fear the past, present, or future. 
for he has experienced the love of God, and this love is being perfected in him day by day. Fear is actually the beginning of torment. We torment ourselves as we contemplate what lies ahead. Many people suffer acutely when they contemplate a visit to the dentist. Think of how an unsaved person must suffer as he contemplates the day of judgment. But since a Christian has boldness in the day of judgment, he can have boldness as he faces life today. For there is no situation of life today that begins to compare with the terrible severity of the day of judgment. Do you get where he's going with that? He's saying that if we are counting upon the eternal salvation of our souls, that we are counting on Christ for that, and we have confidence in him and what he's done for us and the work of the spirit that we see happening in our lives, then that confidence takes away all fear of judgment in the future, but it also takes away future excuse me, fear about today, the present. Whatever trials we may find ourselves in, we don't have to live in fear. Because if the future judgment has already been taken care of by the Lord Jesus Christ, will he not take care of today? Will he not take care of the struggles and the fears that we have about today? And tomorrow, if he's already taken care of Judgment Day for us. So true Christians are growing in love. And as a result, John says, that we have a growing confidence in our standing before God. A standing that is based purely on grace, not our works. But this grace then finds its expression in love. So a professing Christian who fears the Lord's return is revealing that something has gone awry in them. Because John says the more we grow in love for God, the more confident we will be in the day of judgment. Look back to chapter 2, verse 28. And now, little children, abide in him. I'm in 2.28. I know I turned rather quickly there. 2.28. And now, little children, abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. So the Lord wants us to have confidence in the day of judgment. And he has told us in his word how that can be. There is no fear in love, verse 18, but perfect love casts out fear. What does he mean, perfect love casts out fear? He means as love is maturing in our lives, as we see love being perfected in our lives, it dispels fear of future judgment. For fear has to do with punishment. So, believer in Jesus, who has already been punished for our sins? You can say it out loud. Jesus. Jesus has already been punished for our sins. 
And so when we're trusting in him, there is no fear about future punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. So, in other words, if there is a fear of judgment day, then that exposes a need to grow in love. An understanding and acceptance of the love of God and a growth in love for other believers. Because, verse 19, we love because he first loved us. God loved us first. Okay, that's a very basic sentence. But it is so foundational to our understanding of salvation and our understanding of the Christian life. God is the one who took the initiative to have a relationship with us. We didn't take the initiative. If you are here today and you know the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, it is not because you sought him first. It is because by his grace he chased you down as he chased me down. And the Father drew you to himself, and the Spirit breathed new life into you through the gospel, all by the initiative of God. Is verse 19 true or not? The right answer is yes, it's true. We love because he first loved us. The only way that you and I can love God and love one another is if we have first experienced what it means to be loved by God. The only reason biblical love exists to any degree in our lives is because God has begun a supernatural work of grace in us that will one day be fully perfected and finished at the day of Christ. And that's why we ought to love chapter 3 and verse 2 so much. Beloved, we are God's children now, today. And what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. Maturing love builds confidence in our faith, which dispels fear of judgment. And we look forward to the day in which we shall see the Lord because then his work in us will be complete and we will be glorified and we'll be like him and all of the sins that we struggle with and all of the failures to love will be dealt with and we will love as God loves us. What a day that will be. There's a second result of growing in love for God. Verses 20 and 21. As you mature in your love for God, you will 
build the sincerity of your love for fellow believers, which will dispel hypocrisy. If anyone says, here it is again, verse 20, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. If anyone says, again, reminds us that professions of faith must be tested. So whoever says they love God but does not move in love toward others, that person's a liar. John says, he or she is a pretender, a professor, but not a possessor, equals pretender. Wearsby says it this way, pretending is one of the favorite activities of little children, but it is certainly not a mark of maturity in adults. Adults must know themselves and be themselves, fulfilling the purposes for which Christ saved them. Their lives must be marked by honesty. So honesty, not hypocrisy, is a mark of a genuine Christian. And we know what Jesus says about hypocrisy. Over and over he condemned the hypocrisy of the religious people of his day. The scribes and Pharisees, they were famous and infamous for their outward expressions of faith and verbal professions of love for God, but they did not really love people. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. He was confronting hypocrisy. He was confronting a lack of honesty. Hypocrisy was the trademark of the leaders of that day. And yet, God says that it ought to be different for us as followers of Jesus. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Again, verse 20 is another example of how the word of God judges what we say. Our profession is not the final word. God's evaluation of our profession is the final word. And this commandment, verse 21, we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. So this is a commandment. It's not a suggestion. It's not a tip. It's not an option. This commandment we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. So the new work of the Spirit in us will cause us to grow in love for God, which will then demonstrate itself by love for the family of God. If we love God, we will love his children also. That's John's point. 
Brotherly love is like the love of Christ. It is selfless. It is not self-serving. It is not attention-getting, but it is for God's glory and for the good of others. John MacArthur describes it this way, brotherly love seeks nothing in return. Instead, it unconditionally forgives, bears others' burdens, and sacrifices to meet their needs. That's the love of the brethren. So the flesh fuels pretending, but the Spirit of God fuels growth in love. You'll notice why it says maturing as you mature in love. It's a process that won't be fully complete until we see the Lord face to face. But there's movement. So the question this morning is, do you see movement toward Christ-likeness? Do you see movement in your heart, movement in your life, away from self-love to loving others, away from self-love to loving God, away from rebellion to loving God's word and submitting to it. So take the Christian love test. Think about these questions. Do you love God? Is your heart soft toward his word? When you hear God's word, do you move towards submission? Whose voice appeals to you the most? Is it the voice of God or the voice of the world? Do you seek godly biblical counsel for help and guidance, or just do you run to people who you know are going to tell you what you already want to hear? Are you growing in obedience to God's word? Do you love God? And do you love God's family? Do, do the needs of other believers move your heart toward being sacrificial to meet those needs? We heard wonderful testimony this morning of how last month, through a number of, of different ways, God gave abundantly through you. And that's an incredible encouragement to us. We could also ask, are you more comfortable around worldly people or godly people? I'm not saying, by the way, that, that we ought not to be friends with non-believers. We must, of course, we must. We ought to be loving unbelievers in the name of Christ. We ought to have redemptive relationships. How else are they going to hear and know of Christ if we just stay in little holy huddles, us four and no more, because we're afraid that we might be tainted by the world? It's just us and them. We ought to have friendships, relationships 
with unbelievers, that we might point them to Christ. But the question is, who do you love to be with the most? God's people or the world's people? So growing in our love for God brings priceless blessings into our lives. That's what John is saying. It builds confidence in our faith, which then dispels judgment, and it builds sincerity of love for other believers, which then dispels hypocrisy from our lives. This kind of love, Jesus says, proves that we belong to him and is a testimony of the grace of God. Father, thank you for the truths of this word from you. Thank you, Lord, for how you have blessed us with the truth and how you are working in our hearts through the gospel, through the Holy Spirit, employing the word of God to change us, to change the way that we think, to change the desires of our heart, which then ultimately lead to change of life. Father, your Holy Spirit knows each of our hearts. I don't. And so I'm asking you to take this word and apply it to each of us in the way that your spirit knows we need it. And that we may grow toward maturity in love. That we might bring glory to our Savior. In his name we pray. Amen.